You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 45. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week, from app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers. We focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think about the interviews and don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, we chat with Kristen Molinar, founder of YesBossVA.com. With the goal of eradicating entrepreneurial stress, her company is a luxury virtual assistant provider. When Kristen hit a financial ceiling within her own business, she realized that the only way to grow was to build a team. We chat about how to hire people, how to empower the new hires, and Kristen's three-step process to simplify yet grow your business. Connect with Kristen Molinar on LinkedIn to see how you can scale your business. In the meantime, keep listening to hear Kristen's definition of entrepreneurship and how she only works five hours a week. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm excited to chat with you. I am so excited. Guys, she accidentally made a business, and we'll get into that. (laughs) But it's like the most amazing story ever, and I want to start from the beginning. And I think, if I remember correctly, this happened because you started freelancing, correct? It, it actually happened because I was a sucky entrepreneur. <laughs> but you started with the intention of being an entrepreneur. I did, yes, okay. but I sucked at it. Yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, okay, so take us to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to you know, start this side hustle, being an entrepreneur. What were you focusing on? And then how did it kind of lead to this accident business? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So in October, 2014, I left my last regular job. So working for somebody else. Right. And I left because I was being treated awfully by a horrible boss. I always loved working. I loved the work that I did, but I was not being treated very kindly. So I left thought, you know what, if I'm a great employee, I'm going to be an amazing entrepreneur. Well, my entrepreneur journey was uh, 14 months of living with my in-laws, with my husband and two dogs in their guest bedroom, and struggling. The only thing that I had that I was like desperately holding on to was this car. Like I had got a new car, and I was desperate not to let the car like get lost with everything else. But mm-hmm. that was the only thing I had to my name was this car. So um, for after 14 months, I just thought, you know what? <laughs> I am so beat down. I have zero confidence. I am just, I I don't think it's possible anymore. I just don't think it's possible. So what I did is I had heard about becoming a virtual assistant because I had been learning about becoming an entrepreneur, right? And I thought, well, fine, I guess I'll just find somebody who knows what they're doing and I'll just apply to be their virtual assistant. So I went on this website called hiremymom.com and a little side note, I was not a mom. Um, so I was on <laughs> hiremymom.com trying to find a job. And I ended up getting a job within, I don't know, it had to have been less than like three weeks, like almost immediately. 
And so that's when my like freelancing journey began. And so that was in January, 2016, when I got my first freelancing gig. Um, but very quickly into the freelancing gig though, I got assigned blog writing for a nursing community and thought, oh great, now I'm stuck in a job that I don't like. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> you know, because I had left from the horrible boss, I had struggled being an entrepreneur and now I have this freelancing gig that I don't even like the industry I'm in. It was like, oh, can I, am I ever going to catch a break? And then I realized I don't have to do this work myself. I looked actually at the contract I had with that client and I decided I'm going to outsource this blogging thing. And then I realized, wait a second, I think I just created a business. <laughs> so that's, that is kind of what happened. And that is like the starting point of what I now have today, the virtual assistant agency. So you realized it right away. Like you got this gig, they gave you this blog and you said, oh my gosh, this is, that was like your aha moment. Oh yeah. 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 And it was, that was, I have looked at these dates. That was literally three weeks after I got hired to do, to work as a VA for this guy. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. were you working for? Like you were doing their marketing. So I was doing all of their content management. So like mm -hmm. their website, their social media, all that stuff. And granted, I, I think this is important information to share. He was paying me $15 an hour. So it's not like I was making like buco bucks and I decided that I was going to hire somebody because I was like filthy rich all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I don't want to do something I hate and I see an opportunity to leverage. Like I would rather pay, you know, I would rather make half as much, mm -hmm. but half as much not working than twice as much working. And that thinking is really what catapulted me. Huh. Okay. So you're not getting paid very much. You outsource it. I guess you have to find someone who is a lot cheaper, I guess. I'm holding quotations well, for everybody who's listening. Uh, like cheaper so that you can afford it and make kind of like a profit. Yeah. So what I did is I found somebody who was going to school in the U.S., going to school for journalism and wanted experience writing. And so I paid her minimum wage in her state, which for her was like, she was taking on internships where she wasn't getting paid at all, but instead she worked for me and I paid her, I don't remember, it was seven or $8 an hour I paid her. And so she wrote the blogs for me. It was, a, honestly, it was a win-win because I made seven or eight bucks an hour. She made seven or eight bucks an hour and got work experience. And I've written a few like referral letters for her and the client got what he wanted. So, and I mean, the client was getting it for pretty cheap. So just cause I've never, I've never really worked like that before. So I just want to understand when you're outsourcing this work, how many hours do you charge if you don't, if you aren't doing the work yourself, right? Yeah. So in this situation, what I did was I figured out, I asked her how many hours it would take to write a blog post. And I think that at the time we had discovered, you know, it'd probably take her three to four hours to write a, to write a blog. So because in the virtual, like in the virtual assistant agency or in the virtual assistant industry, that's what I meant to say, in this industry, you typically charge per hour. So I would just let the client know, hey, writing one blog post is going to be about three or four hours. Is that in your budget? He would say yes. So I would just tell the girl that I was hiring, hey, you have like a budget of four hours. And then that's ultimately what I would charge the client is that number we had all determined. Okay. So you have this one client. How did you start growing this, this business? So it's kind of, I like, I like 
really like this question. It's interesting. What I discovered when I went from struggling entrepreneur to then getting my first virtual assistant client is that I had always been really good as an employee because I knew how to sell myself in that kind of capacity. Like I knew how to sell myself for a job, but when it came to a business, I got all these weird, like problems in my head about selling and I got really tripped up and all the mindset issues started to come to play. But that's when my confidence came back. I thought, you know what? I found this job. I decided I was going to get that job. I got that job. Wait a minute. I'm really good at this. Okay. So why don't I just go out and continue getting more and more and more jobs and just making sure that legally I'm structuring it in a, structuring it in a way that I'm an independent contractor and realizing that almost immediately brought back my confidence and made me see how much potential I was sitting on. It was something that I needed. I needed a quick win. I needed to see that I didn't just suck. <laughs> I could actually get a job. I could actually get paid. That realization was just so huge for me. And now as an entrepreneur, I think about getting clients. I think about it as sales. I don't think about it as doing a job interview because that's very much not what I do anymore. Um, but that confidence in understanding sales a little bit better and just drilling it down to the basics was just so life-changing for me. And it removed all the barriers. So you just went out and kept getting clients and then outsourcing. Yeah. Basically, yeah. rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> you make it sound so yes, easy. Like, why isn't just yeah. anyone doing this, right? <laughs> I think a lot of entrepreneurs... Um, overlook the simplicity of like service-based businesses. Honestly, that's my opinion. I think it's easy to sell something that you're going to do for somebody else that's tangible. It's easy to sell that. Like, pay me this much, I will give you a blog. A lot of people instead are doing coaching and consulting, which was what I was trying to do. And I'm not knocking coaching and consulting, but in the beginning, I think that that's a harder sell is going into coaching and consulting because you're selling an intangible and that takes, it takes more advanced sales skills. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a sales expert, so maybe a sales expert is going to tell me I'm wrong. I don't know, but that's my take on it. For me, it was like, I can sell a blog post. Like you give me money. I give you a blog. It was just a very easy exchange for me. I love it. And just so people understand how this rinse and repeat works, your business now is actually making six figures. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, we hit the six-figure mark in 2018. So within two years. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank That's you. That's awesome. So at what point did you start? Because I think if I remember correctly, you started hiring people, but then you started hiring a team, an actual team that you can keep working with. When did you hire someone that you knew you were going to keep long-term? In my journey, I spent the first two-ish years being the face of all of our client work. So all the people mm -hmm. that I employed were people that were behind the scenes. Like I was honest with people when I would talk about, you know, we are going to get this blog written. I wasn't saying I am going to write this blog. I was very careful about my language because I wanted to make sure to be acting in integrity. Um, so for the first two and a half years, I was the face of everything. And I realized at that moment, I'm going to be limited if I continue to be the face of everything. So I have to think about 
am I going to stay limited? And I was probably making 70,000 at that point. So am I going to stay at 70,000 or do I want to, do I want to jump further? Like, do I want to remove these barriers that I now have? And it was a couple things. One, I decided that I wanted to grow bigger. Two, I decided to niche down, which made growing bigger very possible, very fast. And that's when I decided I need to be looking for people that are going to be with me for the long haul. And there are actually, for me, two types of people I need. I need people who are behind the scenes that can get the work done really well. And I need people that are going to be representing my company and actually talking to my clients. That was the scary one that I also need that kind of person. And so I chose a niche, decided I was going to go full blown on this team thing. And that's when within 10 months, actually, we made over $100,000 just focusing on one niche. What was the niche? So the niche was doing online summits for entrepreneurs. And the reason I discovered this was because I went to a conference where from the stage, the person that, that was hosting the event was preaching that you need to build a email list and the way to build an email list is an online show. And in, that's what she called them, online shows or summits, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was in that moment that I realized I've done one of these. Dang, I'm sitting in a room with like over a thousand people that would need my service. I'm just going to start calling myself a virtual assistant agency that specializes in online shows. And the referrals started pouring in <laughs> because I got super, super specific And I discovered where people who needed me were hanging out and I put myself in that spot and I was relentless about it. So you, you just found the opportunity. Okay. Wow. Cause you found, (laughs) you found the opportunity and you just like took it to just took it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I was like, I was selling, (laughs) I was selling online summit packages thinking, oh my gosh, if I get this person, I have to hire more people. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Just sell, just sell, just sell. And I, I remember there was two weekends where all weekend we had to, so I eventually did become a mom, but we had to send my son to be with a, a family member because I was interviewing people all weekend because I needed to hire like three people stat. It was craziness. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about later, like the hiring process and everything, yeah. because but before, and I'm not sure if this is, goes more with that, like that part of the conversation, but how do you know how many people to hire at once? When you're, when you're looking at a project, let's say they need one blog a week, newsletter, graphic design, all those things. Do you charge by hours still? I pay my people by hour. Yes. Mm-hmm. I charge my clients per, per hour and I pay my people per hour. I don't, I think about it in terms of how many roles do I currently have? So how many roles do I need to fill? You know, if it's a blogger or somebody doing copywriting, that's very specific. And I don't want to hire just anybody to do copywriting. I hire somebody who knows copywriting. Um, if I need somebody to do admin, I hire somebody who does admin. If I need somebody to do client facing, I do client facing. Honestly, it, it, I like that you asked this question because one of the biggest mistakes I made was hiring people to help me with the online shows. And I wanted them to know how to do all of it. I mean, granted, I was teaching them how to do all of it, Mm -hmm. but that was a lot that I was throwing at people and it was just too much. So now what we do is we have people that converse with our client and are the face of, of the work that we do. They do project management and they're really like top level thinkers Um, thinking about the business as a whole and the vision as a whole. They know strategy, that kind of thing. 
And then the task work is done by specialists underneath those project managers on our team. That okay. is a way more effective method. <laughs> but if it's just you and you're, you know, you have your own business, you just have to figure out what roles need to be filled. And maybe that means you need to find somebody to do copywriting for two hours a week. Well, mm -hmm. that's fine. If you have that role, fill that role. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to, you know, create a 20, 40 hour a week job for somebody. So what I find interesting now is that if you look on yesbossva.com, .com, yeah. okay, yep. um, <laughs> <laughs> and you look at your services, you actually target solopreneurs, okay? And you say, oh, you know, work on your business while we do the grunt work so you can scale. Now, I actually spoke to someone just the other day and said they do not want to target solopreneurs because they can't afford his services. So my question to you is, and a lot of people have this conception where, oh, entrepreneurs aren't making enough money to suddenly start, you know, buying a lot of these services. So I just want to know what your advice is for people who think that. So I see us as like a luxury virtual assistant brand. Mm -hmm. um, so we charge $40 per hour and we have 10 hour per week minimums. And the people that we help specifically are those that have reached a financial ceiling. So okay. what I have found is that a solopreneur can only get so far on their own where they get to a point where they're saying, okay, I know what else I need to do. However, I'm already spending all these time serving these clients that I have, and I only have a tiny bit of time left to get more clients in the door. Essentially where I was when I was making 70,000, it was, and I wasn't functioning as a solo entrepreneur, but I was continuing to be the face of my work. It was like, I literally cannot grow until I bring more bodies into this. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people that we work with who are, and they're usually approaching that six figure mark and we help them fly past it. Okay. I love, I love that. It's so specific, like the types of entrepreneurs that you're going after. Yeah. I mean, we're on a mission to eliminate entrepreneurial stress. That is a mm -hmm. real mission that we have. And the people that experience entrepreneurial stress are the ones that are like, I see this opportunity and I cannot get it because I just don't have enough time. And that's an awful place to be in. And there's no, for me, there's no excuse not to fly past it. You just have mm -hmm. to put the people and processes in place in order to do that. You have to leverage your business. Yeah. Because going, circling back to what you said before, entrepreneurship is easy. Like you can do it. It's very possible. Yeah. If we yeah. keep it simple, I just feel like too many people overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. I was overcomplicating it. You know, I was doing a million and one things that I thought I needed to do to have a successful business. And, you know, when we passed that six figure mark, I had a really awful website and I had zero social media presence. Like it was just a matter of getting myself in the room and identifying people and connecting Instead, we're so focused on a lot of automation and like, how do I make this easier? Well, easier shouldn't mean less connected to the people that you're serving. Easier should mean more connected. <laughs> and then you can build automation around that. But I think we often lose sight of the connection piece and instead put too much like processes and platforms in between us and the people we serve. Mm -hmm. And that's what complicates it. I mean, how many of us knew how to use MailChimp or ConvertKit or Squarespace or ShowIt or like, we're, no, 
no, you don't really learn those things in school. <laughs> yeah. You just, okay. So then what are like the top three things entrepreneurs should focus on in terms of their processes and systems to be more connected with their audience? Kind of not neglecting, but pushing aside all those automations and things that a lot of people focus on. Yeah. I, I think that, um, so there's a lot of ways to do this. I would say that if you're using social media platforms, focus more on the conversations that are happening, maybe in your DMs, rather than the stuff that's getting posted on your feed. Think about the ways that you actually communicate with the people that you want to serve. Um, you know, I was doing this through networking in-person events, but you can also do this with, you know, LinkedIn. You could do it in Facebook groups. You can do it, you could do it on Instagram. You could do it on all these different platforms. Um, so I think that you just have to figure out how many steps am I putting between me and the person who I am trying to court essentially into becoming part of my business. There becomes this exaggerated focus on like build a big list. And I can tell you now coming off of doing, I think ultimately we did like 27 summits in a year. So coming off of doing those summits, we had clients that we had helped them build lists of like two to 5,000 people. But what was missing for the people that didn't ultimately convert into sales is they were staying too much behind the scenes and they weren't making any of that connection because it was all about sending emails to like mass amounts of people and providing value to mass amounts of people and not so much that connection. Like I believe that you and I, Laura, like our connecting mm -hmm. is so much more valuable than me sending out like a mass email. Mm -hmm. Like not to be like, networky or whatever, but connecting with people in this way, like you truly get to know each other. And if I know somebody who needs what you, what you offer, I'm going to refer them because I know you and I like you and I trust you, but it's like a real thing. It's not this like fabricated thing that was built through automation is because I've gotten to know you and have conversation with you. Mm -hmm. I think that we're too, putting too many things between us and that. But then, as I said, there is a place for automation. You take what worked with the organic connection. You, you use that to create that automation. I feel like I'm getting on a high horse about this now. <laughs> <laughs> connect, connect. That's the secret to sales. Just connect. <laughs> but I, I like that you got excited about it because it made me realize the importance of all these systems is the sailing the sales, the sailing, the sales part, right? It's, yeah. it's actually not the process or the steps you take to, to make the connection or get that list or anything. It's actually the connection you make in order to make the sale. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So going back to what we were talking about before with the hiring, let's talk about your tips about hiring the right people so that our listeners can scale their business and take it to the next level. All right. So I would say that my top tip for hiring is to hire people that, um, that have high character. I focus on character over like tactical skills. Yes, you have to have tactical skills, but what I have found is that people who like own up to their mistakes or want to learn, are curious and motivated, those people are limitless. But the people that have a good skill but are 
defensive and like won't own up to their mistakes and all these other things, they're going to be really awful to work with. So if you had to pick one, I would say to hire character over skill. That's the very first thing. And then in our hiring process, we like to find people who are A players. And to us, that means like curious and that means uh, motivated. So we have a specific test that we give to anybody before they ever even talk to me um, for interviews. And I'd love to give you this specific example because I feel like anybody could put yes. it into practice. Please, okay, cool. yes. Okay, so what we do is we schedule a lot of like email campaigns for clients as part of a lot of like day-to-day -day business management, right? So we know that we need people who can make sure that emails look good. So we give everybody before they ever talk to me. So this is like big, right? If you're mm -hmm. hiring, don't talk to anybody until they pass your tests. Yeah. <laughs> don't waste your time. Tip number one. <laughs> yes. And you know, I'll add to that. My dad told me one time he was been in the restaurant industry for, oh my gosh, like 40 years probably. And he said to me, you can't trust people based on what they say. You can trust people based on what they do. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So don't let people like sweet talk you on an interview without seeing that they're worth something, right? Yeah. So what, I, what we do is I give um, the people who are interested in applying for Yes Boss, we give them a really awful like email. And what I mean by awful is it's the formatting is horrible. It doesn't look great. It's not pretty. So we give them this document, tell them it needs to be scheduled in an email. Now what we purposefully do is we do not give them a subject line mm -hmm. because we want to see what they're going to do with that. Look, I am an entrepreneur and I don't want to focus on the nitty gritty. I don't need people coming back to me all the time and making mistakes. I need to know that people are going to be proactive and they're going to like be thorough. They're not just going to say, well, you didn't give me a subject line. So I didn't put a subject line. Okay. Come on now. Like let's, let's. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that? I, I had a, somebody that was working for me one time that <laughs> was like, so to the T about things that if they didn't do it, it was my fault because I didn't explicitly tell them to do that. Like I needed to not hire more of those people. Yeah. <laughs> so what we thought would be like a home run would be people that came back to us and said, Hey, I noticed that you're missing a subject line. You know, could you give that to me and I'll plug it in and finish this project. Instead, what we found was people that actually did better than that. And those are the people that we hire now. And that is they read the email wow, actually like read the email, got some context, didn't just look at it like a task, read the email, wrote their own subject line, sent a test to me and said to me explicitly, hey, I noticed that there wasn't a subject line. I went ahead and created a subject line. Let me know if you like it or if you'd like something al alternate. And I thought, oh my gosh, this kind of person isn't going to sit around and wait for me before they do stuff they are going to proactively move a project along and they're going to be curious enough to actually read the email rather than, you know, just sending something out and having no idea what they're doing. I'm not interested in hiring people who are going to just check tasks off a list. Mm -hmm. I want to hire people who are invested in the work that we do. And so that is my tip when you're looking for people and you want to find the A players that stand out. When, when people do any kind of work and I'm sure it's different now than when you first started do you review the work so not maybe more not anymore but at the beginning you did I would assume so yeah in the beginning I did until they proved themselves to me okay 
And then once they proved themselves to me, I stopped reviewing the work. It seemed like a waste of my time because I could trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the beginning, yes. And this is, this is something I think is worth saying. When reviewing the work of somebody that's new, you want to make sure that you're reviewing it, not fixing it. That is something that I see entrepreneurs doing that shoots themselves in the foot every single time. When, so say you get like an, I would get an email back and it wasn't perfect. What I would do is I would turn on like a screen share recording and I would comment verbally over what mistakes I saw in the email and I would send it back. And the person that I is on my team, they would fix it. What this does is it educates the people that you're working with how you like work done. It teaches them that they should do it themselves, that other people are not going to do the work for them. Because if you hire people and you end up doing the work for them, you are better off not hiring anybody at all because mm-hmm. then you're just dealing with somebody who does, isn't equipped. And then it gets to the point where once you give them feedback, people start coming to you with other questions that are more high level questions and you answer the question with, well, if you were to make a decision, what decision would you make? And so essentially what happens is you are, your job turns into coaching your team so that you're team can start leading your company. And so now, I mean, I bring clients in and I do sales calls, but once I do sales calls, like my team runs with it. I don't touch any of the day-to-day work. Right. Cause you only work five hours a week, right? I do. That's actually accurate. Yeah. Actually five hours, not yes. never yeah, like so more. My- Well, sometimes I work more. Like if we're in a hiring sprint, then yes, Mm -hmm. I work more because I need to interview or whatever. But like the last three weeks, so three weeks ago, my grandma visited. I worked maybe an hour that week because I was checking email randomly. Last week, I decided I wanted to do home projects. I was enjoying being slower in what I was doing. I probably worked three hours. This week, I'm doing some training stuff every day. So I will probably work I'll probably work closer to eight hours this week because I'm doing trainings every night. But I, I, I tell you, the more I step away from my business, but I teach the people that run my business how to run my business, the more smoothly my business runs. Now, my ego wants me to jump in and be the superhero of my business and to fix everybody's problems. But what I do, when I do that, I'm enabling them mm-hmm. and my business stops growing and we serve our clients worse, honestly. Like I've seen a negative effect of me getting involved. But so much trust of your employees. I've hired really amazing people. I yeah. love and, it. I, and I think about the people that work with me is to be an effective leader, I think you have to think about the people that you lead as leaders in their own right. And so it's my responsibility to find out what leadership strengths everybody that works for me has and to foster that and to put, keep them in roles that really fosters their own zone of genius. So say you're an entrepreneur and you just need somebody to do like calendar and email management, right? And you could easily think like, oh, I just need these like admin things. And you could diminish what the value of that work is. I think that's awful. I think instead you need to be thinking about, I need to bring somebody in who's going to lead the heck out of my email and my calendar and somebody who's going to get better at this than I could ever be. And then when you flip the script, you start treating that person a lot differently and they rise to that occasion. It's when you hire somebody and you don't treat them like they're worth more that they then don't prove to be worth a whole lot because you've treated them that way. 
I feel like this is rooted in the experience you had when you left your corporate job. As I was saying it, I thought that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, dang, am I talking to like old Kristen that was being treated poorly? Yes, because I I was ready to just like build this company up. And Mm -hmm. yes, there was some like, I want to do it for me, but I would have gladly done it for somebody else, but I was being treated poorly. So I left. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look at you now working five hours a week. (laughs) I love it. That never would have happened there. (laughs) No, but I just, I love that you can tell people that like, yeah, I worked one hour last week. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. I mean, I worked my butt off and failed enough to get here and just learned a lot from the failures and learned about leveraging and yeah. Maybe it was the fact that when I was trying to be an entrepreneur in the beginning, I read four hour work week and I was like obsessed with this. Wait, how do I make this a thing? (laughs) But a lot of people read that book. You're one of the few I know who's made it happen. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you. Okay. I want to move on to how, let me read this because I feel like I'm going to ruin it. The DIY mindset is anti-entrepreneurial. Okay, can you explain to everybody what you mean by that and then how to avoid this? Yeah, so if you're an entrepreneur, you are saying that you are a visionary leader. I think we've lost sight of what entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship is not creating a job for yourself. Entrepreneurship is becoming a visionary leader. Now, a visionary leader puts people and processes in place to create their vision. So before you ever become an entrepreneur, I feel like we live in this really creative space. We are thinking about everything that could be and all the things we will do. And it's, it's this amazing, like exploratory creative space that we live in. And then we get drowned by our businesses. We start discovering that we need to build a list and we need to have a website and we need to have an opt-in and then we need to be nurturing people through email. And then if we don't get on Instagram or Pinterest or podcasting or all these things, then we're never going to make it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're in that space, person listening, I want to tell you this, there's a lot of grace. Like I want to tell you that there's a lot of grace for this because the moment Facebook catches wind that you have a business, you will start getting marketed to that you have to do webinars you have to do emails, you have to do Pinterest, you have to be Facebook ads, you have to do this, you have to do that, whatever. And it becomes really, really overwhelming and stressful because you're doing all of the things. Now, what I have to say to that is that's anti-entrepreneurial because what you're doing is by doing all of those things, you're putting all this stuff on your plate and you're not, you're, you're losing that visionary leadership and becoming a tactical self-employed person. There's Mm -hmm. a difference between self-employed and entrepreneur, right? So being an entrepreneur, you want to stay in that leadership role. And essentially your business needs to have like a life and it needs to be like an entity of its own that isn't just you. Because if it's just you, it will always be limited by you. Like Yes Boss VA is way more than I am. We offer way more than I could ever offer because of the team that I've built and because of the processes we put in place. And so in order to be that visionary leader, you need to think about your business as something that's apart from you, and then you can start nurturing it. 
you know, I, I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs saying things like my business is my baby. And I have felt like that. My business is my baby. I want to hold it tight. Now that I'm a mom, I realize that eventually your kids go to elementary school. Maybe they become teenagers and get their driver's license. Eventually they move out of the house. The point of parenthood is to raise your child to be independent. So mm -hmm. if we're saying that our business is our baby, okay, but let's raise it to be independent. That's <laughs> when we achieve true freedom in our business rather Such. than being DIY about everything. Such a good point. For the entrepreneurs who might be in a stressful situation right now that are listening to this, you have a three-step process on how to eliminate the stress. Can you go through those steps with us? Yeah, I'd love to. So number one, which is my absolute favorite, and if you just do this, you're going to be gold. <laughs> and that is eliminate all non-essentials. Mm -hmm. So you need to be thinking about your non-essentials in two categories. The first one is your marketing efforts. And the second one is your monetization methods. So what are all the ways that you're marketing? What are all the ways that you're getting out there and attracting clients? And what of those are actually effective? So there's this principle, this 80-20 principle that says that 20% of your efforts will yield 80% of your results. I have found that to be true time and time and time again. So you have to look at everything you're doing and expect to cross like 80% of it off your list. And if that means getting off of Instagram, I deleted Instagram. I don't do Instagram anymore. As of a month ago, I was doing it for personal and I just thought, I've not really done it for business. I'm just done with it. It's falling mm -hmm. in that like non-essential category. So really evaluate all the things like as far as marketing and then look at your monetization. Like what ways are you making money? Because a lot of people do a variety of things and that then it's, it's harder to run a business while you're doing so many things, right? So that's step number one. And the thing I want to add to that is when looking at these things, take a, take a step back and think about like what your heart was telling you to do when you originally started, because mm -hmm. If your heart was telling you to connect with people and to like go to, you know, do like networking or like whatever it is that your heart was telling you, you should be leading with that and not with the things that the marketers are telling you to do just simply because the marketers are telling you to do it. So you've got mm -hmm. to dial back into what your heart's saying and then look at the data. I mean, you can't ignore the data. If you're on Instagram all day and you never get a single client from Instagram, but your heart is in Instagram, well, I mean, you've got to. Got to be realistic. Out. Yeah, you have to be realistic, yeah. right? So that's number one, and this is uh, this is what we do with our clients. Our clients come to us to outsource to us, but we mm -hmm. say first we're going to look at what's essential in your business. I, we do not want you to come to delegate to us stuff that is not moving the needle. That's a waste of your money, and that's a waste of our time, and that's not going to be a fruitful, long-lasting relationship. So step number two is we put these two together, automate and delegate. Mm -hmm. so the reason I put automate and delegate together is because if automation is not your zone of genius, delegate your automation. <laughs> <laughs> fair, that's fair. So there are probably things that you're doing, like, you know, a client contract. There's probably the same kind of email you're sending to your client every time you sign a new client or every time you do a certain kind of work, right? Like, those things, you can put templates in place. You can put automation in place. There, there is automation that should be done. If you can do it automated versus manually, you know, it's going to be less expensive to do it automated. And then everything that you can delegate it. 
I mean everything that you can delegate it. And then the third step for us is we call it generate effort-free income. This one's really fun. <laughs> it sounds fun. <laughs> we work with a lot of coaches and consultants that do a lot of, you know, they, they share their knowledge verbally through coaching and consulting, right? And they have, naturally, they have a um, section of their, or a group of their clients that are like VIP clients that would be more than happy to pay that client of ours, so their coach or consultant, to just do the work for them. So an example is we work with a client who um, teaches how to speak on stages and she teaches her clients how to do this, right? Well, she has a group of clients that are like, can you just do it for me? Like, I'll pay you to like the, buy like, the stages. Like actually speak. Not actually speak, but do that booking. Oh, okay, okay. Find, find the stages, you know, send the pitch emails, follow up, all of that stuff. So we call it like speaker outreach. What our client does is she sells that VIP package done for you package to her client for over a thousand dollars. And we, as her team do all of the execution on that package for $750. So she's making money off of having her team. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is an often overlooked thing. Entrepreneurs think about their business and they see an opportunity. And then when they're getting really strict with like choosing essentials, which is fantastic, they'll think, no, I'm not going to get in the done for you space. I don't want to do done for you. I want to do coaching. Well, can you leverage your team to offer that to your clients, but not put any more work on your shoulders? It's effort-free income that's right there on the table because you probably have clients who are willing to pay you more to just get the work done. And so that's how we like to partner with our clients to make sure that we're essentially just paying for ourselves when we work with them. It's a win-win all the way around. That last one is fun. I like that one. <laughs> it's a collaboration on steroids, but a collaboration with your team. I love it. And just going back, because you were talking about delegation and automation and stuff, just out of curiosity, what tools do you use? What software do you use in your team to manage everything? We as a team use Asana. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me for Asana tips because my team knows not to put my stuff in Asana. <laughs> And you know what? I actually have done this on purpose because my background is project management. So I really enjoy project management, but I know that if I get in there too much, then I'm going to start putting my hand in things and mm-hmm. stirring pot, and then everybody will think like, well, Kristen is saying to do it this way. And we have to do it the way that Kristen's saying, cause Kristen's the boss. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you, if the client was happy and you had a process, like I don't need to be involved in this. I'm just, <laughs> it's my pride. It would be my pride getting in the way. Do you guys set up automation tools for your customers as well? Like let's oh, yeah. say they need email marketing, you put in whatever. Yes. Okay, yeah, okay. We, we follow that three-step process with all of our clients. It is part mm-hmm. of our 90-day onboarding process. Um, I'm starting to do coaching with our clients because what I've found is that, you know, clients have a lot of questions as a business owner to me, a business owner about how to do a lot of this stuff. So I'm offering some coaching to some of our clients. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, we walk our clients through it all. Most of the time clients come to us and they're like, okay, so I know how to make money and I'm doing everything that I possibly can. And I have no more time and I don't even know what to delegate. We see that a lot. Hmm. I know I need help, but I don't even know what I need help with. And that's why we walk through that process with them. Where the coaching comes in. Yep. 
Okay. Okay. That makes, yeah. Cause even like, for example, this podcast, I know I can delegate, let's say the editing, you know, maybe uh, transcribing the, the interviews, totally. but before you said emails and like, kind of like the admin stuff. And I can't even imagine how that would work. No, no. Because I mean, with me, podcast like, hosts, you have like, I feel that every podcast host needs to do a whole slew of content repurposing. Mm-hmm. Like how much content is there here that if you had somebody to sit down and just spend like three hours, mm-hmm. they could create content like crazy. I mean, my team is doing this with podcasts that I've been on. They're combing through content mm-hmm. and creating new stuff for us. And it's They're going to have so much with this one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I'm writing notes about, as you speak because I'm like, wow, this is great. You, can, <laughs> you should see this paper right now. <laughs> <laughs> I so love funny. it. But that's why you have to align yourself with people who think differently. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm glad I aligned myself with my team because my team sees things that I don't see. And they, they also, can I give this example? they don't aren't limited by the mindset things that I'm limited by. Yeah. I told them for six months that I wanted to start doing podcast interviews because I just wanted to get out there and help people see that entrepreneurship didn't have to be so hard. Like I really just am passionate about spreading the word about this. And I didn't send a single pitch for six months because every time I sat down to write a pitch, I felt like I'm not worthy. Like this person's too big for me. Honestly, this is how I felt. And so my team after six months was like, so have you sent the pitches? Like what's going on? And I had to tell them very humbly, no, I have not. I'm really having a problem over here. And so one of my team members jumped in and she pitches me for podcasts and she pitches me to podcasts that are way larger than I would ever pitch myself because she's not limited by my mindset issues. Yeah, exactly. And also you have a little trick to help you run through these processes in your mind. And that is what would Richard Branson do? (laughs) Were you you seeing where I was going with that? (laughs) I was seeing where you were going with this. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about this. (laughs) So if you know, I mean, I don't know a ton about Richard Branson, but Mm -hmm. from what I perceive, the guy just has a lot of fun. If he's got an idea, he does it. I mean, he just like, He lives in what he wants to live in, right? So, and I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends, a lot of whom are in marketing. So a lot of them have said things like, you should really be on, I don't know, whatever platform. Let's, we're going to keep throwing Instagram under the bus, I guess. Though I don't have hate for Instagram, but (laughs) say things to me like, you really, there's a lot of opportunity to be had on Instagram or you should, I get this one a lot. You should do your own online show. Mm -hmm. And I, in my head, the (laughs) The scale I have to run through is what what would Richard Branson do? For me, this means, literally this is all this means, is do you want to do it? Because if you don't want to do it and it's not going to be enjoyable and you're not excited about it, then don't do it. Like, Mm -hmm. I am an entrepreneur. I'm not going to do what everybody's telling me I need to do because I need to do it. I became an entrepreneur. Ultimately, what I've realized in hindsight is because I had this creative ability in me to see something big and create the pieces that it took to get there. And I don't need to go off on everybody else's tangent. I need to just stay in the things that, that I love. Like, like this, 
Like, this is what I love. Like sitting here chatting over Zoom, like recording a podcast, just mm-hmm. talking about entrepreneurship. This is the stuff I say yes to all day long. The other stuff, it doesn't light me up. So I'm not going to do it because I won't show up the best there. And ultimately, my life is in my hands and I've got to control it. I love it. I think I'm going to start using it. Like, would Richard, what would Richard Branson do? <laughs> That's great. I love it. And, and you know, he's got big teams behind him too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yep. There's that too. That's why he has a lots of fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you also mentioned um, that people are self-sabotaging themselves. Okay. And that kind of runs through the things that we've been talking about, you know, taking on too much. How can people step up, like kind of have an outer body experience and say, oh, this is what's hurting me. How can I get over this? I think a really good example is like what I was doing. I saw this vision for going on podcast, but it was scary. Like I Mm -hmm. wanted it, but it was really scary. And so ultimately I feel like I was self-sabotaging myself by not doing it. There was a lot of opportunity that I lost out on because I spent six months just being scared of something. Um, I, I also think that we sabotage ourselves when we spend too much time trying to figure everything out. So like DIY, too much time trying to figure something out when someone else could easily do it. And I'd love to share a specific example for that one because I have a tactical thing that people can do in that space. Mm-hmm. So say you decided that you wanted to become an entrepreneur yesterday <laughs> and you're talking to us today. Yep. You're like, listen, you're, you're on the right podcast. You're like, I'm going to learn from Laura exactly what I need to do. What do I need to do? Day one entrepreneurship. This is what usually happens is you realize that there's some degree of technology that you probably need. Like you might need a website or even just a one page place where people can opt into your email list as a way to connect with you. This is very, this very frequently happens. What happens for the DIY entrepreneur is they spend 10 hours on YouTube and Google trying to figure out how to connect their Squarespace with their MailChimp, right? And if you are a regular person, you probably are dealing also with an emotional roller coaster in those 10 hours. So those 10 hours probably don't take you 10 consecutive hours, but maybe two or three weeks because you're riding the roller coaster of I'm amazing. I'm going to get this done to, Oh my gosh, I suck at this. I have no business being an entrepreneur. Okay. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Oh my gosh. Another problem again. Like it's literally a roller coaster, right? When you find yourself riding that roller coaster, you need to think, is there a way that I could get this done faster? So like I said, we are like, I call us a luxury virtual assistant brand. We charge $40 per hour. And I tell you this to put things into perspective. You could pay somebody like us. Well, we wouldn't do it, but (laughs) we do ongoing clients, but not (laughs) one-time things. I just want to make sure that people don't come to me asking for this, but (laughs) you could hire somebody like us for two hours of time, meaning that they could get it done in literally two consecutive hours. Mm -hmm not three weeks, not 10 hours, none of that. And they will get it done for you. Now this, this kind of cherry on top that I want to give is when you outsource something like that, ask the person who you've outsourced to, to record a video of how they did it, because then you know how to get it done in the shortest, most efficient way possible. You know how to change things moving forward. 
and you now have your very first business asset. So your very first business asset is a process that you need to run your business and you now have that. So instead of spending 10 hours DIYing, spend $80. And if I didn't give you enough evidence enough, you could take $80 that it could cost you, divide it by the 10 hours that you decided to spend anyways. And essentially, if you're doing it yourself, you're saying that you're only worth eight bucks an hour. You'd be better off getting a job at Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love that. That's so, sorry, I was just processing. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. And it's something that every entrepreneur at every level can do. You have to mm. think about how do I leverage my time? Because money when you're in business is to be used to leverage, not to hoard and save and like yeah. leverage it to make more. Because I was just thinking, I was thinking in terms of my podcast, right? Because this is right. my baby, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which will eventually be independent. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking, okay, right now I started as a hobby, right? Right. If I want to start making money, make revenue from it, so be it. At what point do I start investing in it so that I could concentrate on making it a source of revenue? So what you just said kind of like hit home a little bit because it's like, why am I spending all of my time, let's say creating content when I can outsource that for three, four hours and get it done. And then I can spend those three, four hours, you know, looking for partners or sponsorships or anything like that. So that's what was going through my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you're, you totally hit the nail on the head because Hmm. your time needs to be spent on the things that make money right now. Exactly. Figuring out how to bring that money in consistently. Yeah. All that other stuff that you probably already have a process for. Mm-hmm. It very easily be passed off to somebody. Yeah. Else. So I bas- I feel like I just connected all the dots from all the advice that you said Yay! in the last hour. So it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. And this has been so great. There's so much value. You're in this episode. Your team is going to love making content from it. <laughs> <laughs> but before we end our conversation, I have one last question for you. And that is, this podcast is called the No Formula Podcast because there is no single formula to success. Everyone creates their own formula. So I was wondering, what do you think is your formula that you've created to get to where you are today? I think it all boils down to connection. Like I have put a very serious and non-diluted as much as possible focus on connection. Mm -hmm. Um, making sure that I am talking to other entrepreneurs, talking to the kinds of people who need the services that we need. Um, like I'm a people person. And so that lights me up anyways. And so when I realize, like, Oh, that's kind of my zone of genius. And I could just by being me and just by connecting with people and with connection, like there comes like value adding, like adding value to somebody's life, not just connecting for the sake of connecting, but truly wanting to help other people and connecting with them for that reason, that, that has been huge. Like we still don't have a big email list. We still are not on social media. If you look at our Instagram, it's pretty bare Though we're now getting better about using content that's been repurposed from podcasts on our Mm -hmm. Instagram and, and um, other social media platforms. Like it's, it's about connection and it, 
keeps me from getting lonely in the journey. And so it fuels me in so many ways. And it's just so cool to me that this natural thing that I have has allowed me to be successful because I've learned how to look at it strategically. I love it. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. You've given us so much to work with. So we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me into your space. It means a lot to come on and be able to talk to you. Before ending this episode, I want to summarize some key takeaways from my conversation with Kristen. First, Kristen's secrets to growing her business is building connections, picking a specific niche, and delegation. Second, her number one tip for hiring is to choose someone who is curious rather than hiring someone who has a specific skill. Three, Kristen believes that entrepreneurship is about putting processes and people in place so your business can thrive. Entrepreneurship is not getting drowned in your own business. That's being self-employed. And finally, Kristen's three-step process to simplify your business is to one, eliminate all non-essential marketing and monetization, two, automation and delegation, and three, generate effort-free income. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to share this episode with other entrepreneurs.